Radio. You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Pet Talk Naturally, the place where your animal friends and nature come together to find health, happiness, and harmony with all the natural things the earth has to offer. Your hosts, Dr. Kim Bloomer and Dr. Jeannie Thomason, each week will lead you through the practice of taking care of your pets with all the wonderful natural elements that nature provides. So, get ready to learn about natural nutrition, preventative pet health, and more with your hosts, Dr. Kim and Dr. Jeannie. Hello, everyone. I'm Kim Bloomer, one of your hosts. And I'm Jeannie Thomason, your other host. And today we're going to be speaking with Ken Globus, also known as the Bird Whisperer. And I think I'm very intrigued by this. Um, I'm a very much a bird novice, but I've always, um, you know, Jeannie, I've always been uh, fascinated by the right. large birds. And, 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 and I've told the story why before, so I won't <laughs> take everybody back there again. But today, this is really going to be interesting. And yes, there is some controversy surrounding our guests, and I just discovered that. And you know what? I honestly don't get why, but we're going to really get into the topic of bird behavior today, and it's just amazing, and I really think it builds on what we've talked about on our other bird shows, don't you, Jeannie? Definitely. Yeah, so this is going to be interesting. Before we get to talk to Ken, though, we'll be right back. Time to take a walk down the path to happier and healthier pets, and while we're doing that, you get to listen to a few words from our sponsors, Naturally. Pet Talk Naturally. We'll be right back. Flight 291 is now boarded. All passengers, please proceed to gate 4. And who's this traveling with us today? This is Bailey. She's never flown Midwest Airlines before. Hi, Bailey. (coughs) She'll be fine. We take special care of our traveling pets. In fact, our premier pet program was created by an employee and dog lover who believes that pets should be handled as precious cargo. And they are. Oh, and they earn travel rewards, too. Oh, good. Thanks for flying Midwest Airlines, Bailey. Enjoy your flight. Visit MidwestAirlines.com. Pets are part of the family, and when traveling with your dog, there's only one magazine to include when packing your doggy's duffel bag, and that's Fido Friendly, the travel and lifestyle magazine for you and your dog. Each bi-monthly issue includes hotel, city and state reviews, and doggy destinations to explore with your furry companion. Fido Friendly magazine can be found at Borders, Barnes & Noble, PetSmart, Pet Boutiques, and Fido Friendly hotels nationwide. Or you can go online to subscribe at www.fidofriendly.com. So get traveling with your pet today and leave no dog behind. And remember, Fido Friendly's the only magazine dedicated to the travel lifestyle of man's best friend and the one magazine your dog will thank you for. Welcome to Personals.com. As a fellow cat owner, I know how finicky we are, from our friendships to our loves to just about everything. Not any old website is going to satisfy us. Here at Personals.com, cat lovers from all walks of life can celebrate the photos, the stories, and videos of their beloved family member. And if you're single, here's your chance to meet someone who's perfect for you. Share your personality today for free 
See you soon. Personals.com. That's P-U-R-R-S-O-N-A-L-S.com. Finally, a place to meet that special person. There's nothing like a shaggy dog, baby. They're shagatelic. And this is the place to find out how to have harmony in the household with your pets. Oh, yeah. So stop by our pad every week and get switched on, baby. Switched on to the show that's all about attitude. Oh, behave. With your groovy host, pet edutainer Arden Moore. Yeah, baby, yeah. Every week on demand on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We're back, but our nature walk has just begun. Now, back to Pet Talk Naturally with your hosts, Dr. Kim and Dr. Jeannie. Well, as I said, today we're going to be speaking with Ken Globus. And um, come at his website, and I'm just going to give it right off the top of the hour here. It is www.thebirdwhisperer.com Now he is known internationally as the Bird Whisperer. He has been taming, and I find this interesting, taming or working with difficult birds for more than 25 years. And I say the word difficult and Ken even has it in quotes on his website because you're going to find out I don't think it's the birds that are the difficult ones. (laughs) It's us. Um, It's always us. Anyway, welcome Ken. We're very, very excited to have you with us today. Well, thank you, Doc. Dr. Kim and Dr. Jeannie, I'm really happy to be here and share uh, some of my experiences. I tell you what, I was so, I got stuck on your website. (laughs) I must have read, I don't know how many stories, and I, I quite honestly am really intrigued by what you're sharing because we've had people on here who've talked about horses in much the same way and work with them the same way that you are working with birds, now, uh, the parrots, because both um, the parrots and horses are prey animals. Exactly, and, and I have. A, it's interesting because I have had several horse people and horse trainers in my bird taming workshops, and they always come and tell me how how much similarity there is between the approach of the of work, my approach of working with birds, and their approach of working with horses. It, mm. It's it's amazing. In fact, there's been we've had a couple guests. Uh, Carolyn Resnick was on, and she actually talks about it the same way with the horses that you're talking about, and um, also of course Monty. Roberts, uh, who's pretty well known, he's right. done and, the same and thing. I think the, the reason that, uh, that I developed these techniques in a similar way that they did is because I took everything I learned directly from the birds. I didn't read there books. I didn't study. I had no theory. I was just a very open, intuitive, inquisitive person with, with a need, with a strong need, because I, in the days when I was uh, running uh, my parents' bird section in, in their store, um, all, most of the birds were wild-caught. Right. So when you got a wild-caught into the store, they were totally freaked out and would squawk and flip on their backs, and, and they thought you were going to kill them. Mm-hmm. And this is not a way to, to make a pet bird. So I had to solve this problem. And by solving it, I created a series of techniques that I really didn't realize were special until about 20 years later when people started to give me feedback that what I was doing was, was unusual and unusually effective at that. You know, you, it, when I read this, I, I, I can see why you're called the bird whisperer because what, what I got from it, Ken, just reading it as a complete novice with birds, I thought, well, it just makes common sense. 
Well, that's 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 where everything came from was was problem solving in a in a common sense way by also being very tuned into the birds. If you if you work with birds and you are open to their energy, and I'm not talking about paranormal stuff. I'm not talking mm-hmm. about ESP. Right. I'm talking about real physical palpable energy. You see, you, you can see the birds fear energy working mm-hmm. and if you put pressure on a bird to make it feel more afraid and then remove the pressure you can see that you can play that bird kind of like a musical instrument by taking his fear walking along the edge of it and getting him to approach things that he would not approach and getting him used to them in a very very short time I swear mm-hmm. to you that sounds exactly like how we approach a horse and a horse has to uh he has to invite you to be his friend, invite you to be his leader. And right. uh, by manhandling the way we have in the past, mm-hmm. it, it never made sense to me. Honestly, as a child, because I am a horse lover, I, it never made sense to me. But learning, the more I'm learning about birds, the more I'm realizing that it's their very prey nature, that it's an instinctive thing for exactly. them to protect themselves. Exactly. Uh, because we're predators. Were, we're predators to every other animal. Absolutely. Fear is the major focus of my work, and it's fear in three different levels. First of all, the bird's instinctive fear, and this fear for birds is really necessary. It's, it's the reason they've survived for millions mm-hmm. of years. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the slightest vibration on a branch could be a snake or, or other predator. Uh, a shadow going by could be a, another bird swooping down to get them, a noise. Right. So you can see, you, you, we've all seen a flock of birds on a tree seem to explode simultaneously from the tree. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it isn't simultaneous, but their reflexes, their fear is a hair trigger mechanism that they don't ask questions, they just flee. Right. Or in the case where they're in a cage or in a home, they turn and snap, or threaten mm-hmm. or bite. And that fear is the number one problem. The number two part of the equation is human beings' fear of getting bit by the bird. Oh, yeah. And and that's a real fear. Mm -hmm. So when a bird is triggered with a fear mechanism and turns and bites the human, the human gets afraid of the bird as well. So next time, the, the human may approach the bird more tentatively. In other words, they put out a visible kind of energy that is more nervous than the original energy. And it makes uh-huh. the bird even more nervous than it was. Mm-hmm. And, so, of course, they're going to pick up on that as a prey animal because they're real, real. And absolutely. kind of movement and, and every little thing around them. And the fear is escalating. Now, the third part of the fear equation is people's fear of harming their bird. Uh-huh. So it kind of immobilizes people to do anything. You know, th- there are so many myths in the bird world that I you know, just blow apart. And that's another reason why I'm controversial, because I disagree with so much of what the experts are telling people, like never use gloves, like uh, never take a bird out of a cage until it wants to, uh, like you can't tame older birds, that's not true. You must have a hand-fed baby to have a really good pet, mm-hmm. which is absolutely not true. Right. And all these things... I don't just theorize. I show in my workshop how these things work. Typically, in a weekend, a weekend of doing two workshops, I'll work with 18 to 20 birds oh, wow. that were untouchable, untamable, and by the end of the workshops, they'll be, they're being passed around from person to person in the oh, workshop and quite happy with the contact. Dude, that is great. so amazing. You know, Ken, I... 
I think that uh, Jeannie and I really, really like people like you who do debunk all the myths because really we have been under so much misinformation. And while the Internet has afforded us um, opportunities like us talking with you today and, and, and a whole lot of other things, it's also been a lot of where the misinformation has been able to be perpetrated. Yes, you're right, and it's not only that, but even there are so many myths about what I'm doing by people who hate what they think I'm doing but have never seen what I do. Mm-hmm. And they say I use welder's gloves, they say I towel You've heard that, and I, at least I've heard that. None of that's that. true. Of they didn't look that. like welder's gloves to me. <laughs> well, they're deer skin, and to tell you the truth, when I work in individual sessions, I rarely use gloves, but when I'm about to work with 20 birds in a week, Right. I've got to protect my hands a little bit. I still get beat up quite a bit. Yeah, I heard that you get, um, and and here, and I was going to ask you a a couple of questions, um, not only about that, but uh, first about how, you know, I often ask people, why was this your animal of choice? Why was this the animal you decided that you were drawn to and wanted to work with? Well, it's interesting. It, It wasn't a decision. It was... You know, as a kid, I had a, a budgie, and I loved the budgie. And when my, my parents had a tropical fish store, they moved to a large location. They put every kind of fish and tank and supply they'd ever dreamed of in there, and we still had room. And I said, why don't we start a bird department? And they hmm. said, you start a bird department. <laughs> All right. And so necessity being the mother of invention and me being very uh, a creative type with ADHD, I didn't approach things normally. I approached from all different directions when I solved problems, and that's the way I came to these kinds of uh, techniques. But well, I'm we know still that. I'm learning. Mm-hmm. We know that the bird was the number one and very first and foremost pet in the United States, as we did a show back in December um, with a historian of a museum. I didn't even know that. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, and she said they were the first and most, and of course, the budgies were the biggest. Uh-huh. But, the um, canaries, yeah. Yeah, they, in the canaries, that they that was the biggest pet that everyone got, and partly because we didn't have, you know, we didn't have radios and things back then. They were, mm-hmm. uh, so the birds were music. And I don't think birds are as natural a pet as a dog or a cat. No. I think cats no, and wild. dogs, well, wolves gravitated to humans because right. they, they discovered that begging for food was more effective than stealing food. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. and that's how they became, you know, they became closer and, and, and some of them became domesticated. Well, I mean, and we're cats talking and about dogs are also predators like us. So yes. And a reason that predators would um, group together right. to um, make hunting more effective, whereas our predator, our prey animals would be naturally afraid. And I was... Um, drawn to some of your statements of, about the fear of these birds, but before we go there, I was going to ask you this question that's totally out in left field. But mm-hmm. you get bit when you go and work in your yes. um, when you go to work in these workshops because yes. these are pretty intensive workshops. I get and bit in private sessions. I I get bit a lot. And I was and you don't pull away. Now, it was what was interesting to me, Kim, when I read that you. When the bird bites you, you don't do what is instinctive to us, and that's to pull away. Right. Did you know that a horse won't pull away when a wolf attacks it from underneath to get at it in a wild horse? I didn't know that. Now, what a horse will do to protect its very exposed underbelly is lean into the wolf Right. knock the wolf off balance. Well, it's interesting because, uh, first of all, uh, pulling away from a bite makes it hurt more. Mm-hmm. You kind of, the, the bird will kind of give you a last little twist and nip as you're pulling out. And it's what I, and, and it also, the biggest problem with pulling away from a bite is in, in, you know, in bird logic, 
you're training it to bite because mm-hmm. the bird is really biting you so you'll go away. Right. You'll back mm-hmm. off. So if the bird bites and you back off, the bird says, aha, that worked. I'm going to yep. do it even harder next time. Right. And you're training your bird to bite. The thing is, if we were all invulnerable, if we were all supermen and women, we could <laughs> allow birds to just bite us till they got tired of it, and then they would be tame. Mm-hmm. And our instincts are we don't want to feel that kind of pain, because I understand you've taken some pretty rough ones. Um, yes, I'm not yeah. really sure why or how I'm able to compartmentalize the pain and still control my body. In the very beginning, when I started with birds, you know, you have the tendency to almost fling a bird across the room when it bites you, and that's really dangerous for the bird and yeah. you. And, and, and so my first concern is not, was not to hurt the bird. And the other thing developed that I was able to control myself. Now, I've taken some horrible bites of the bone. And that's, here's another myth I would like to blow away, okay. which is that birds snap fingers off. Uh-huh. I've had every finger in the mouth of everything that bites, uh, and the hardest biter I've experienced is a Moluccan cockatoo. Oh, yeah. Now, I've been bit in one three-hour session in, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, probably 40 times, 50 times oh, by a Moluccan cockatoo. I in was one beat session. up and swollen, but nothing, none, none of my digits are missing. Mm-hmm. I've had some nerve damage that's recovered. Nothing's been permanent except, of course, the emotional scars. But we're, right. we're, we're <laughs> I was looking at your fingers, by the way, and looking at because I looked at tons of photos. I'm just I'm very drawn to these birds, and I, the, I'm also one of those people that feels that the more that I can understand the nature of animals, the better. Um, I can all help teach people about animals, but also right. just that I can better. Uh, because there's so much, there's so much, I don't know any better way to say this, Ken, but ignorance yes. as regards animals. We've so anthropomorphized them to the mm-hmm. point that, you know, we think all of them are furry little toys. That's, right? that's another problem I deal with all the time, that people, you know, want to kiss their birds on the beak, which I yeah. always advise against, no matter how tame a bird is. You know, even my own little bird, who doesn't care that I'm the bird whisperer at all, you know, I had him sitting on my shoulder one day, and I was reading a book, and the UPS guy came too close to my window, and the bird bit my ear all the way through and was hanging there because the UPS guy scared him. Scared him, startled him. Mm -hmm. I've had people in my workshop, a woman in particular in Chicago, whose uh, umbrella cockatoo went right through the bridge of her nose, and she had to have serious surgery to to correct it. So I don't believe in kissing a bird on the beak. I show on my website, there are many photos of me doing what I, with a light pressure with my palm on a bird's beak will control its head. Birds' necks are not real strong. Mm-hmm. And if you can put a light pressure with your palm on the bird's head, you can also tickle it with your fingers from that position, but you can also bring your head in and kiss the bird, nuzzle it on the side of the face, nibble on its feathers while you're controlling its beak so you're practicing safe sex there you know you're not you're not going to expose yourself to a horrible bite right. if the bird gets a jolt of hormones or something scares it or whatever mm-hmm. ah, i see well ken we're going to take a very short break because i'm just i can't believe the time has gone this fast already are you serious and, uh, when we come back i'd really like to go into a whole lot more about your approach and and the work that you're doing with these birds and helping the abused and neglected and also i'd like to talk further with you about why you chose that i i think i know what you're going to say but i think it's important for our audience to hear that so we will be Absolutely. right back 
in just a minute. Time to take a walk down the path to happier and healthier pets. And while we're doing that, you get to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Naturally, Pet Talk Naturally will be right back. Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in paparazzi, candid pictures of you and your pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No, to my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Ready to take a walk? Not just you, but your whole family. It's the 2008 Whisker Walk, Sunday, June 8th from 9 to 4 at the Lancaster Fairground in Lancaster, Massachusetts. Pet owners and animal lovers walk to lend a paw to benefit the animal shelters and pet charities they love. Come see exhibits, demonstrations, educational programs, special attractions, product giveaways, entertainment, auctions, raffles, food, fun, and things for adults and kids to see, do, and buy, both human and pet-related. Whisker Walk 2008, a fun day for everyone. For more information, log on to whiskerwalk.org. Schools in Session on Pet Life Radio with Teacher's Pet. Learn how to communicate with your pet, train your pet, and see the world from your pet's point of view. You may even learn a few tricks yourself. Teacher's Pet with pet expert and author Sarah Wilson. Only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We're back, but our nature walk has just begun. Now, back to Pet Talk Naturally with your hosts, Dr. Kim and Dr. Jeannie. Well, hello, I'm Kim Bloomer, one of your hosts together with Jeannie Thomason. Today we are speaking with uh, Ken Globus, also known as the Bird Whisperer, and we're going to get into the heart of how he got this this uh, calling as the Bird Whisperer. Ken, you were talking about some things that, uh, first of all, we're debunking some myths here. Second of all, we're uh, sharing about the nature of birds. Now, these are prey animals, and I think it's uh, that people need to understand this is where these birds are getting abused. This is why they're being surrendered to rescues or whatever. And right. I think what you're helping people to do is to really understand the nature of these birds, and we need to approach a prey animal because we're predators. Approach them uh, so that they, the fear is taken away from them. And I, and I do think this is why, first of all, they're still very wild in nature. They haven't been um, in domestication very long at all. Right. And, Some of them are two generations removed from right. the wild. Yeah, so that's not very long, not like cats and dogs. That's genetically, those are wild animals, absolutely. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So now, the, the, the very instincts we talked about before, the fear instincts that are so useful in the wild, are really harmful in the relationship with the human being in the, in the, in the home. They, those fears are totally unnecessary because we're not going to hurt our birds. We're not mm-hmm. going to uh, threaten them in any way. All we want to do is love and nurture them. And because of this strong fear mechanism, something gets off and gets you know, derailed, and there's a misunderstanding between owner and bird. And uh, what could have started out as a wonderful relationship can just uh, snowball downhill and, and become awful. And the, what I believe is that 95-plus percent of the birds that are in rescues because of fear-aggression issues don't need to be there. Mm-hmm. Now, the controversial part of my approach is the fact that I will not sit by the cage for six months waiting for a bird to come around. I will expose the bird to the things it's avoiding in order to desensitize it to them. So what I do is progressive desensitization. Now, I work with imagery, what I call the bubble of fear. So Mm -hmm. every bird is afraid of stuff, and you have to find out Where is the edge of that bubble? Now, with a phobic African gray I worked with in Orange County, the entire room was the size of its bubble. That means if you opened the door and and leaned in, the bird would explode with fear and thrash around the cage and hurt itself. Hmm. So with that bird, I had to, first of all, I got down on my hands and knees, and I opened the door slowly, very slowly, backwards with my feet and back into the room. Now, it took me a half hour to get from the door the cage, mm-hmm. but I was progressively desensitizing that bird to my presence, and I was finally able to handle it after about 40 minutes. Wow. This is a bird that nobody could get near. Now, with other birds, the, the bubble is, is, is 6 inches, 10 inches, and I'm always testing where is that bubble with mm-hmm. the bird and doing the things I need to do to shrink that bubble. But it's an, it's an assertive approach. It's not waiting by the cage and trying to feed it a peanut for six months until it decides it likes me because that bird is spending six more months in that living hell of being afraid. That's a nice segue into the fact that you said rather than subjecting them to long-term stress, which will just create worse and worse situation for both the owner and the bird, uh, you, you bring them short-term stress so that right. it's a proactive approach. Which right, and here's, what I, here's why uh, I learned that it worked, and it's, again, based on the bird's reaction and based on their nature. Back to the store, early 1980s, the first time I got in three large birds at the same time, because we started out very small, I was very cautious, and I didn't know anything. So the first time I got in three umbrella cockatoos on the same day, this was a big day for me, um, we had to groom these birds. Now, these are wild caught from Indonesia, these birds. Right. And so they're, they're adults, they're fully feathered, they're beautiful, but they freak out when you get near the cage. The only handling they've got is being captured, stuffed in boxes, shipped in quarantine stations, etc. So they take it away I, from their natural environment. Exactly. Somewhere. Totally terrified and thinking a human is going to kill them any chance yeah. this human gets. Right. So I had, you have to groom these birds. You have to put their wings before you can work with them. And, of course, you've got to grab them. You've got to hold their feet. You've got to hold them around the neck or towel them, groom them. I did this with one bird. I put it back on the cage, went to work with a, uh, a weight on a few customers in the store. Then I went back to get the next one. Now, when I went back to the cage... This is what dawned on me, that the bird I had groomed was much more relaxed when I went to the cage than the other two birds that I hadn't touched yet. 
So, ironically, amazingly, the bird that I had grabbed and kind of manhandled in order to groom it actually gained some trust from the process because it realized that I could have killed it, I had it in my control, and I did not. So it gained a kind of trust even from that negative contact, which showed me that you could be more assertive and expose birds to what they're afraid of in order to desensitize them to it. That bird was much less afraid of me than the other two birds that I hadn't touched yet. Isn't that interesting? That was the beginning of understanding the process. Then someone brought me a double yellow head that they called a bronco. In those days, a bronco meant this was an untamable bird. He said, listen, you can tame this bird. If you can tame this bird, you can keep it. If not, give it back to me and I'm going to put it down. And I felt, man, here, there's nothing to lose here. I have got to save this bird. Mm -hmm. So I worked with this bird. Now, in those days, my techniques weren't refined like they are now. It took me two weeks to do what I do in a half hour now. Wow. But I did get that bird tamed, and it was the beginning of my, of my knowledge. It was the beginning of the basis of my techniques. It, so then inter- when it's interesting to me, Ken, that you, uh, you know, that these birds are, I hadn't even thought of it this way, and we've talked with several bird you know, experts on the show, but I hadn't thought, totally thought of it this way. I'm in a cage. I'm out of my, you know, natural wild element, and I'm living with a predator who I don't know what's going to do to me. Oh, my God. Every time they come near me, I'm terrified. If they come in the room, I'm terrified. Mm -hmm. And birds survive because they listen to their fears, because Mm -hmm. they obey their fears. A bird will never voluntarily approach pressure, approach what it's afraid of. It will always move away from pressure. The number... Two issue I deal with in the bird world is what I call socialization, where a bird loves one member of the family and hates another, or likes one and hates everybody else. Now, people think that that's a, a, a pair mating thing. That's another myth in the bird world that I disagree with. I feel that the bird moves toward the person that causes it the least amount of stress, even if that difference is 10% or 2%. The bird will move toward that person. And when the bird is allowed to move toward that person and avoid other people, the gap between the bird and the others grows even bigger. So I develop techniques to expose the bird to the people it's avoiding and balance out the relationships. Now, it it shows you bird character because sometimes, in in one case in particular, I remember it was an... uh, an artist, a Disney artist here in L.A., and he had a girlfriend that moved in, and this bird wanted to kill that woman and drive her out of the out of the house. Now I got this bird balanced out. I got did some socialization exercises. I got the woman involved. She became the primary handler of the bird. The relationship got balanced, and then I got a call a couple of months later that the bird liked the woman now more than the man. Mm-hmm. We had to rebalance. And you always have to do these checks and balances with your bird. I believe strongly that you must set limits for birds. I believe strongly that you must have certain rules that you follow. One of the biggest contributors to the deterioration in the relationship with humans and birds is when a bird doesn't feel like coming out of the cage, if you open the door and back away and let it come out on its own and scramble to the top of the cage, you are creating a behavior problem. It has been allowed to avoid stepping up on your hands this time, and you've reinforced it, and the next time it's going to want to avoid you even more. And Many, many of the people I deal with, their relationships went down because of that issue. 
So, so this whole you, thing of people building cages with beautiful playpens on top, mm-hmm. I'm totally against that type of cage. Mm-hmm. You've got a bird up higher than you are. Yep. You reach for him, he gets dominant, he starts nipping at you, or he scrambles down the back of the cage to avoid you, and it's a big ordeal to get him, mm-hmm. and it just reinforces that he can avoid you. It sounds like, again, because of the nature of animals and how they interact within their own species, that we have a whole lot of learning to do about how to interact with them according to what the parameters are within their species. I try and think as bird-like as possible, and I exactly. didn't know what that was until I worked in a lot with them. If you watch birds interact with each other, they, don't, they aren't really empathetic characters. They put no. each other around quite a bit. <laughs> I don't think nature is that empathetic. No, They're no, very they, they aren't. They are compassionate. There's a, there's a kind of a, a pragmatic cruelty about animals and birds, too. Mm-hmm. And you'll see birds vying for position on the branch, or a bird will nip the other one because he doesn't want to be bothered right now. Mm-hmm. And when a bird nips you because he doesn't want to be bothered right now, you feel, the human feels rejected. Right. Now, I tell people all the time, if you get bit by your bird, it's not necessarily your fault. And that's another place where I disagree with the bird world. It seems that many experts are making people feel incapable of handling their birds. They're saying, well, if you get bit, it's your fault. Don't make the bird do anything it doesn't want to do. Learn to read the bird. Learn to anticipate. Well, you know what? If you have a bird, you're going to get bit sometime or other. Oh, yeah. Because that's how birds communicate that they're unhappy with something. It sounds like you're saying for you to be the leader there. Absolutely. um, Ken, and that's exactly the same way you train a horse. Absolutely. Here's what I understand about birds. That, you know, I work with a lot of people who have birds that hate strangers, are terrified of strangers Mm -hmm. when they come into the house. And in, in almost in every case... The bird is the dominant one in the household. And what I have figured out from their behavior is that if you're the dominant one in the household, when something new comes into the territory, the bird kind of watches you to see if you're upset about it. Mm-hmm. And if you're not, it stays calm. But if it's the dominant one, it feels responsible to make a decision about what to do now. What Do we, do we fly away? Do we, do we bite this guy? So but that's what a dog will do. A cat will do that. A horse will do Any animal will do that if you've allowed them to have that power. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The, the difference is birds are fear-driven animals. They're going to yes. flee or bite. Right. They're not, you know, and dogs like people. Dogs, uh, many dogs like when strangers come over, when people come over. They mm-hmm. like and that. And they also feel activity. that they have to make the decisions for their humans if their humans aren't in control. And that can be very dangerous with right. dogs. Right. They can be dominant and aggressive in that case. Right. Yes. Absolutely. And so so you, can, you can see that many of our, you talked about anthropomorphizing before. Mm-hmm. You know, ma- Treating the birds like they're little humans Mm. leads to a lot of problems. We project a lot of things onto our birds that just aren't bird-like at all. Human nature onto animals. And this is, I mean, Ken, this has become an extreme passion of mine, and I know Jeannie's. We we keep feeling that if we can teach the nature of animals and interacting with them, you know, if you're going to have a bird, think like a bird. If you're going to have a horse, think like a horse, a dog, like a dog. Then we wouldn't have a lot of these other issues that we're seeing crop up, not only behavioral and a lot of the issues right. and rescue and that sort of thing, but also well, we, even what to feed them, for crying out loud, we'd know what to do. So, sure. Uh, well, we're also in an era where uh, where children are, are, you know, feeling entitled to everything there is, where oh, they're oh, yeah. set for children, and people are doing the same thing with their birds, and in fact, a lot of 
you know, people are using birds as substitute children, and oh, they wouldn't yeah. think of wouldn't think of making their bird do anything or mm-hmm. responding to a bite. You know, when when a bird bites me, uh, we talked about this before. A bird, let's say, I'm offering my hand for a step up, and the bird nips me on the index finger. Mm-hmm. Not only do I not pull away, but I put my thumb over the bird's beak and hold on to its beak, and I even put pressure on the beak, and I'll get in its face and I'll say no. Then I'll release the beak, then I will offer the hand again, immediately. And most people will be gone from there. They will take off. What the bird finds out from me is when they bite, they lose control, they lose power, they get dominated, and this didn't work, and I don't think I'll do this again. Right. And I cure biting in, you know, in two minutes where people are talking about having birds for years that are biting them. Mm. Just by responding in a bird-like way, which is dominating, which is what birds would do to each other. Exactly. That's what I was just going to say, Ken, because, again, we're going back to tr- interacting with each other with, you know, our, is, is evidence with human children. Human children are so undisciplined nowadays. Mm-hmm. So, uh, again, we're doing the same thing with our animals. And, and unhappy. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. But they animals are very pragmatic, like you said. They're very straightforward, and discipline is an issue in every species of animal within their own, mm-hmm. you know, family right. groups. And all you need to do, you need to know what is effective discipline and what's, you have to be very clear. And I talk about energy a lot when I work with people, about making your intentions known to the bird. I don't just reach a a finger out when I want a bird to step up. I almost get into a a mime or martial arts mode or dancing mode or this kind of focus that those disciplines have, which is preparing my self to pick up this bird. In other words, I show the bird my intention before I even get to him. Right. And you the get bird, calm, you get calm, don't you? And I also yes, understand that very in your focused, mind you're holding the thought of love. You're mm-hmm. loving this bird. You're you're always thinking that you love the bird. I'm not going to hurt you. I love you. And that's such, you know that's such a, an interesting thing you bring up. I had a, a session in Delaware. I was doing a workshop there, and everybody was able to pick up this African gray, but its owner. And the owner had a history of being bit by the bird, so the owner was fair. Mm. And I say, you know, Ted, what are you thinking when you reach your hand out? And he says, please don't bite me. Please don't bite me. And I said, okay, here's what I want you to say out loud now when you reach out to pick up this bird. Say, it's okay if you bite me. It's okay if you bite me. And you know what? He reached out. The bird stepped up. His energy changed. He wasn't focused on fear. He was focused on love. And it isn't, again, I I don't want people to think I'm talking about voodoo or paranormal stuff. I'm talking about real stuff that affects your physicality. Mm -hmm. Birds are very visual. They tune into your body language very much. You're very common sense, Ken. (laughs) I could be scared to death, but if I can control my body, the bird thinks I'm calm. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times you talk about approaching with love. Sometimes my mind is racing about how to solve this problem, but my body, I keep calm and focused. Right. You so know, you can, I understand you're a very high energy person, but from what I've read about your, yeah. from the people that have been in your workshops. Well, for example, I'm walking all around the house now while I'm talking on the phone. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You may hear my breath because I'm walking fast. (laughs) I understand that you change modes completely from that to just your whole demeanor. It's like you've just become another calm, very settled person as you approach these birds. Yes. Well, picture somebody focusing or concentrating on anything that's dangerous on a high level. 
You know, and this is dangerous. First of all, I don't want to hurt a bird. And second of all, I want to minimize the hurt to me. But the, mm-hmm. the second most important thing is protecting the, the people who attend the workshop. Mm. I will get bit before I let any of them. So your concentration, your, your, you know, you're walking across a tightrope, and you know what kind of concentration you need for that. But you've got to keep the, the, the energy and the concentration out of your body. In other words, the tightrope walker must stay relaxed so he can tip the bar a little bit to balance himself properly. But his mind is extremely focused and like a, you know, like a laser. Mm-hmm. And that's what I do with the birds. And it's interesting because they totally pick up on that. Oh, and absolutely. It makes, it makes com- complete sense because you're a predator who is approaching this prey animal and you're going to teach him to trust Right, exactly. Now, I've worked with birds where, in fact, there's a little video, a YouTube video, uh, on my, a link on my website. Of, uh, I worked with a little lovebird that this woman said would bite anybody but her, and she could pick it up and rub its head on her face, and it was totally in love with her. Mm. Uh, I, you see in the video, I say, may I try? And the first thing I do before I put out a hand to pick the bird up is put my other palm up toward the bird above its head to distract him a little bit. Then I bring my hand in to step him up. Now, because I have the hand up high, he's more concerned about that hand than he is about the one I'm asking him to step up on. So he steps up while he's looking up at the other hand. Yeah. Uh, now, for the sake of our audience, you have loads of pictures on your website that yeah. can actually see you doing that. And I, was, I, I, I looked at that same picture that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Well, what's gratifying uh, to my to my heart, but not to my bank account, is that people <laughs> actually can visit my website and get uh, information and change their relationship with their bird based on articles and, yes. and photos I have in there. Yes. Well, and you've very people who've done that, who've who've um, actually done that, and you haven't even worked with them one on one. Well, I think you've read my testimonials then, because I've, yes. I've somebody from Slovenia, somebody from Turkey, some people from all over the world are saying, hey, for the first time I can touch my bird. I've had him six years, and, and this is very gratifying. I'll tell you, I've never done anything in life that's as gratifying as working with somebody who's had a bird for years, who can't get close to it, and is touching it for the first time. Its bird is looking at them with these loving, gaga, blinking eyes. You know that look that birds get. And people cry, and I cry. It's an incredible process. But you're making life for these birds, not only they're humans, better, but these birds now are going to have a life that isn't... I mean, I can't imagine, like the one bird you mentioned on your site, living in fear, constant fear for 25 years. Right, right. We're talking about uh, a, a rescue bird that I worked with in Utah, in Salt Lake City. This bird had been in the rescue for 25 years. It was a wild caught. Nobody knew how old it was when they got it. It, it had never been touched because when they went near it, it would flop around and look scared. Now, when I went near it, it was in a carrier. And I, uh, first of all, when I go to look at a bird, I start looking at it from 10 feet away. I want to find out where the bubble is, like I said. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm reading the bird constantly. And when I looked at this bird, I saw a bird that wants contact, is just afraid. So it took me about 20 minutes working with this bird to get through this fear. The next day, that bird was adopted out from that rescue. The next day. Wow, the next day. Ironically, some of the major rescues in the country are aligned with other behaviors that are disagree with what I'm doing. And this is frustrating for me. How unfortunate, Ken, because, um, I mean, the very thing that we're teaching just to me when I sat there, like I said, as a novice, reading your site, and I mean, I went through, I, was, I almost couldn't pull myself away. I well, thank you. There. I'm gratified. And I thought, 
well, this just makes so much sense. I don't understand what the controversy is, and I'm really glad I'm not involved in the politics of that. Because right, and I think a big part of it is politics. Some of the leading behaviorists are, uh, you know, attacking me in articles and stuff, citing research that has nothing to do with birds, you know, stuff that's been done with primates and rats uh, uh, 30 okay, years ago. But those are different species, and every species has their own Absolutely. way of interacting. And, and I really think that we could do the animals great justice, all of them, if we would just, whatever animal we're drawn to, let's learn about their nature. And, yes, and, absolutely. And then, How does an animal thrive? By, by being itself. How do we thrive? Yeah. By finding out who we are. Right. Yes. Absolutely. And, and, you know, and, and it's unfortunate that these people have so much power over other people and, and that, you know, it's so much easier to write something negative uh, in a chat room or something about about <coughs> what I'm doing and scare people off mm-hmm. than it is to build confidence. It's so much easier to destroy trust than to we build We must have the same detractors, Ken, because Jeannie <laughs> in situation, you know, and, and I think, you know, maybe they'll give us some, you know, even if the bad press, they'll still get people curious enough to come and learn and make a decision for themselves. That's why the motto of our show is to empower you, our audience, with unlearning so that you can care for your animals naturally, so you can make the decision to do, regardless of what the status quo is saying. Right. Well, that's interesting. One of the things my detractors seem, the major behaviors I'm talking about, seem to have in common, is that they haven't personally seen what I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, there you there go. You go. That's it again. That's yeah, and how, how intellectually dishonest is that to form strong opinions about something that you really haven't seen for yourself? I can yeah. answer you that. That is fear-based. <laughs> it's the and same it, thing, yeah. It's, yeah, it's true. very fear-based. Because well, they don't they, want to know that it works. No, and they don't no. want you to have any kind... You, they don't want people to be able to have that kind of... Even though it's going to help the the, the birds, and I and, and I can use the, uh, an example from the Bible. It was the uh, Pharisees <laughs> who resisted that in the same way, and so it was very very political. Not that it was the best thing for the people or for the animals or for whatever. It was the best thing for for our status quo situation, and really that's what it is. And that's well, always I think how any new ideas are you know are are threatening to people who believe very much in old ideas. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. You know, and and they're afraid to let go of what they believe. It's almost like giving up their religion and believing a new religion. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, Ken, you're going to have to come back and be with us again because I thoroughly I enjoyed I enjoyed this show um, so much. Is that 45 minutes go by already? It's an hour, believe it or <laughs> you're not. You're kidding. 45 minutes. I don't know how long it's been. but um, Well, I had a good time, and I'll, I get uh, wound up and very passionate about what I do. And we love that. <laughs> we, that's well, what I'm we love. I'm you this now before we close. Um, what parting words of wisdom would you love to impress upon our audience in closing? Something that they can walk away with and go, I know I can do this. If I have a bird, I can do this. Well, first of all, I would direct people to my website to get some more knowledge and tools because there are mm-hmm. articles there and tra- taming tips. First of and that's all, that's www.thebirdwhisperer.com. Yeah, okay. and you know, there's a lot of information there. The, the, the thing is that all these myths that you've heard about Challenge them. Find out if they're true. I I demonstrate to people that you can work with a bird with gloves and then take your glove off and he'll be afraid of your bare hand because he's not used to it. So it just, you know, debunks all these myths in the bird world. Challenge them. Find out for yourselves. Check on my website because I've got tons of testimonials of people saying that this other approach absolutely works. I have bird clubs I go back to, you know, three, four times to visit. And, so you know, everybody if, needs to just 
unlearn and go over there and learn um, the truth basis, uh, versus the myths. Ken, right. it was that, well, I was lucky that I knew nothing when I started, and mm-hmm. everything came That's always a good thing. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have anything to unlearn, so that's I was ahead right. of the game. And that's why you learned the, the way it, it ought to be. Ken, thank you for being with us, and we look forward to you coming back on Animal Talk Naturally and sharing and expounding more of your uh, truth about how to care for birds according to their nature in the future. And, and just remind our audience, tomorrow we have a special edition show about learning to unlearn. <laughs> we invite you to join <laughs> that. And Ken's site again is www.thebirdwhisperer.com and look for him to be a repeat guest on Animal Talk Naturally. Uh, Kim and Jeannie, thank you very much. Oh, for thank you for being with us, Ken. Take in care. A, in a spirit of love and truth, we hope you all have a <laughs> tail wagging, hoof stomping, wing flapping, perfectly animal talking day. day. Pets and nature come together every week on Pet Talk Naturally with your hosts, Dr. Kim Bloomer and Dr. Jeannie Thomason. Learn how to care for your pets with all the wonderful natural elements that nature has to offer so your pets can live a happy, healthy, and harmonious life. Pet Talk Naturally, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Naturally.